A Week in Review. Hey, congratulations. You have made it to the end of the week on this 19th of February 2021. We are looking at the news that made news this week, reviewing the week, and giving you some insight into stories that you've heard reported but may not have heard the whole story. So we do it with our friend Adam Rizieri. Let's review the week. The Riz Report with Adam Rizieri. We're going to have to fix big voice guys. Pronunciation. <laughs> He's obviously very white, you know, and, and so he doesn't have that, you know, ethnic flair pronunciation. Now, we're going to be talking about whiteness today a bit because it doesn't go away in the news and finding balance uh, between um, a reasonable respect for people. You know, we're, we'll also be talking a little bit about uh, my experience um traveling and i was really surprised to see a dr seuss store in new orleans louisiana you know with all of the counseling and all of the pullback so finding balance there even some some dialogue with a good friend on facebook kind of points some of that out Uh, we'll be talking about some other news stories and giving you more than what you're hearing in a lot of the reports and we're going to do it with our friend adam ruzieri hey happy friday happy friday long time no talk back in seattle (laughs) you were in texas with 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 my people here in the republic of texas for a while um chartered over to nolens vegas how was vegas vegas is really quiet it's it's fairly quiet some things open up on the weekend uh piano bars and, and and some things but really there's no shows it's just the restaurants are at a percentage capacity um but my favorite, I keep everyone's like, I know, Michelle, I know what your favorite thing is in Vegas. That show kept going. And that's the fountain at the Bellagio. So I sit across mm-hmm. the street at Monami Gabby. I eat French onion soup and French bread and watch the show. That's that's, that's my Vegas experience. So did you sort of feel like you rented out Vegas for yourself? You're like, you know what, guys, put it on the Amex. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. You know, uh, I think a lot of people are are hoping that it'll open up. Uh, in our report this week, we were talking about uh, the uh, Valencia being sold for six something billion dollars. You know, so that's I a sign, though, that they're reinvesting and they really believe that Vegas is going to open up again. Yeah, I think Americans are definitely looking for fun and normalcy and the things that, you know, we used to look to for joy in our lives, Uh, live concerts and and just uh, events. You know, I was one of those people who maybe it's because I'm just a crazy Texan, but I I went to the rodeo championship at the same place where the Cowboys play AT&T Stadium uh, just here in the winter. You know, I, I went, I wore a mask, of course, but I had a great time. Uh, doing this at a public venue, I felt a little bit closer to normal, you know, and, and now yes. that obviously vaccines are rolling out in mass, uh, was it we uh, is the the uh, permission, I, I think the, the hall pass that we get from Biden, isn't that coming for July 4th? I think we're allowed to, to be in public and <laughs> social. <laughs> um, we no, shall I mean, 
we shall see. But <laughs> I, shall I did see. notice Texas has opened up. Um, we see a lot of the statistics that places that are open versus places that have been closed up, the numbers tend to be about the same. You know, so are we doing this for a reason? Uh, but I noticed, Adam, in your state that where people have the freedom to do whatever they want, they still seem to in establishments wear masks, sanitize things, um, and and people tend to make decisions that are best for their health. I mean, we're selfish by nature. And so we make those decisions based on uh, our own circumstances. And it seems that we don't need extreme control in order to be responsible. So there. You yeah, go. you don't you don't need a rule that says, hey, guys, don't lick the railing of the mall. You know, you don't need a rule <laughs> that tells you to, to not do that. <laughs> you know, we, we can make decisions for ourselves. We can we know how to wash our hands and we know how to be mindful of basic things that help minimize risk. But also there's that cost benefit analysis, you know, um, does the risk outweigh the reward? And and ultimately it should be up to us as individuals to make those decisions about um, how we're going to run our daily lives at the workplace, uh, how we're going to expose ourselves to, to leisure and entertainment and travel. You know, we can wash our hands, we can maintain respectful distances away from others. Uh, we can make sure that we are not coughing with with uh, anything other than you know a shoulder to cough into or or, or a, a hand to cough into. You know we can make good decisions that minimize risk, but we don't need somebody to say by mandate you cannot do this and you cannot do that. That's not how our our society really is supposed to be. That's that's not well, in our it's social not plan. freedom, and we feel it. It's not freedom and we feel it. So in my travels this week, I was in New Orleans, Louisiana, the home of the parades and festivals. Um, St. Patrick's Day is a big deal there. But um, in surrounding areas, there is a lot like Texas, a lot of freedom, things opened up. In the city of New Orleans, uh, there, there really are some restrictions. You wouldn't know it being on Bourbon Street, by the way, but... <laughs> But but um, there are some restrictions there, so they can't they canceled you know Mardi Gras parades and uh, St. Patrick's Day parades and such, um, and people felt it felt it. Uh, some people while I was there, there were some rogue parades for uh, St. Patrick's Day, uh, so there was some stuff going on, um, and I did get a report that in Chalmette, which is a surrounding area, they pretty much kind of stayed open. They shunned a lot of the extreme lockdown measures. Their tax base, you know, they they were only off by about one percent. So they they wow. survived economically fairly well, and their COVID testing, um, they had a really low actually, but you know, it wasn't exploding. So we really need to revisit that government control. But as we look at St. Patrick's Day, um, we might as well celebrate it right here, right? Uh, I Absolutely. my background. Um, on my mother's side, O'Connor. So, yeah. Nice. So on my grandma's side, yeah, that side of my family, Irish Italian, right? So the Irish side came over <clears throat> really following the potato famine uh, from the late 1800s, like 1895. And uh, so I've got, got Yates, got McBee, got um, McNaney. So I got a, I got a few Irish names uh, in the family, but it was my grandma who really carries the Irish blood uh, closest to me. Uh, then, of course, 
you know, there's a, there were a lot of Irish and Italian immigrants that came to New York and, and signed in at Ellis Island and started their American journey. And, you know, that's that ultimately it all started with my my great grandpa being a 19 year old that spoke no English. Uh, just, you know, just a lot of Rizzieri, a lot of a lot of Italian. Um, <laughs> and it's 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 actually really crazy, though, to think back into history <laughs> when, you know, it was this potato famine, Michelle, that probably well, was that kind of what the sparking, the, the catalyzing event was for your side of the family coming over to the United States from Ireland? You know, uh, I believe it was. And I, it was I for 25% that... of the entire population of Ireland. Yeah. And literally. And yet um, the struggle of the Irish, the stories of uh, discrimination and abuse. Um, this is important that we talk about today because it is downplayed in the media because uh, we're, we're seeing memes and we're seeing uh, people talking about, yeah, wait a minute, white privilege, what are you talking about? You know, if you're Irish, you were abused, you, you were not allowed in establishments, uh, you were separated. Uh, even the New York Times and USA Today and other outlets have downplayed uh, slavery, which, yeah, the first uh, recorded sale of an Irish slave was to a settlement on the Amazon River in 1612. So while I want you to really pay attention to this, that the New York Times, USA Today and others have said, no, 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 wait a minute, slavery, Irish slaves, uh, that's kind of a falsehood. This is a myth because they say, well, they were indentured servants. They were, they were indentured here in the United States. And we'll talk more about word games. We're seeing it at the mm -hmm. border now, but a slave by any other name is still a slave. And it was not just in America where we saw Irish being used on plantations and, and, and the like. Uh, this was in other areas of the world. And so downplayed in the media, though. Uh, but we've also seen a lot of uh, discriminations and some of the problems, disease uh, that Irish people have had to endure. And while we have a Black History Month and we celebrate uh, Black history, which is from differing regions, just because your skin is dark, what does that mean? Uh, we're talking about an actual people of 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 a, of a origin in Ireland that really have had quite a, a, a history. There's definitely a story there, you know, and, and like, like all sorts of discrimination that also of course impacted the ability for these early Irish immigrants to get jobs. And it turned out that you, you'll see a lot of history in firehouses throughout the United States. A lot of the Irish were unable to get any sort of jobs except for those serving as firefighters. And so you see a deep uh, sort of Irish history with firehouses throughout New York and Chicago and major metropolitan hubs that that really did sort of become home base for a lot of these these new uh, really these, these first uh, generation Americans these these Irish who would become Americans, and but but you know it's this is a story that isn't just unique to the Irish. Um, back when um, back when Jews were fleeing persecution over in in Europe. Uh, ultimately, you, well, you had you had literally this difference of German Jews from the other Eastern European Jews, such as those from Poland. And if you listen to stories from, and I know I, I, I give a shout out to Alan Dershowitz, I think every show, Michelle, but I think he's just such an impressive person. <laughs> you know, this is a guy who was first in his law class at Yale, and he was also the editor for the, for the law review, but he couldn't get a job at over 30 different Wall Street firms 
out of law school because he happened to be of Polish Jewish descent. So, you know, it's quite, it's quite crazy to actually think about how discrimination can impact any, um, any new immigrant community. And of course the Irish were, were not protected from any of that. Um, whether it was <clears throat> persecution, uh, from, from society in general, not being allowed into certain establishments, not being allowed certain opportunities in the workplace, uh, educational um, discrimination, things of that nature. The potato famine was a real thing. I mean, a million people died from that potato famine, resulting in literally the migration of two million Irish to the United States, a quarter of their population. It's really crazy to actually think about when you put it in context of the overall Irish population in general, a quarter of, of them came to the United States. So. You know, here we are now in 2021, and a lot of us have a little bit of St. Patrick's in us. You know, we got a little bit of Irish blood in us, um, and that's the American way, right? That, that's that's great. We have a lot of, of this. We have a lot of that. Um, that's what makes us so interesting and awesome just as a society. Uh, I think that we can kind of come together and look back on our history and appreciate uh, these little these little nuggets of cultural value that, that we can kind of look back on and be thankful that we are not back in 1845 or back in 1900. We can be thankful that we're in 2021 and that we've come such a long way. Yeah, and, and that we can learn. We're talking history. It's important what you're sharing with us, Adam, because we're not talking about history. We're so busy being offended by it, and we should be. If we aren't offended by history, there's a problem. But we shouldn't be whitewashing it. Can I still use that phrase? Uh, and we shouldn't be. Not if you're on YouTube. <laughs> we shouldn't. We shouldn't be. It. You're you're 100 right that we shouldn't be. Well, so this this all kind of goes into these discussions of, well, really, it's critical race theory, and you know, we we just saw this week just uh, just a tragic, tragic, tragic attack on eight people in Atlanta. Six of those people were of Asian descent. Four of them were, were Korean. Um, and, and right now you're seeing in the media these discussions of, of why and what was the motivation. Was it a hate crime? Was it a sex addiction driven uh, act of violence? Is this just another opportunity to bash Trump and some of the things that Trump said in his past? Or are there some contributing factors here that we should really point to um, to make this more of a real discussion? So. With, with with the shooting in Atlanta, gosh, I mean, just what a terrible, terrible tragedy. It's 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 just sickening to to read about, and obviously, it's it's hard not to be a human and and feel a lot of of, of sadness and empathy for those families. It, it's really um, disappointing to see some of the the words coming out of the White House, Jen Psaki blaming the previous the quote previous administration and references to the quote Wuhan virus as the the fuel to the fire that maybe drove this this crazy shooter to do what he did um there was another congressman out of california and it's always these it seems to be these congress people out of california but uh representative ted lieu was was basically saying that the former president used racist phrases like quote kung flu um these are these are what people are pointing to as potentially contributing factors towards this rise of anti-asian uh hate crimes Hey, let me ask you about this. Okay, yeah, I, I want to stop you just for a moment because I want mm -hmm. I want to play something. Um, it, it's a uh, Dr. Simone Gold, and she talks about the truth about the COVID nineteen vaccine. But something that's pretty interesting to me about uh, 
our plight here with COVID and then the concern about, well, that was racist, is that this is the first time in history we haven't named a disease after the person or region that it comes from. I mean, you don't see Lou Gehrig's family saying, oh my gosh, that's it's heinous that you would call it you know, Gehrig's disease. Spanish and flu. People, thank you. So uh, take, a, take a little listen. You can watch this as you're watching live. Listen, let's see if we can get this. Disinformation was apparent since the beginning, right? We call this illness COVID-19, but its real name, should be after the location from where it arose, which is Wuhan, China. And if you remember, it was called the Wuhan virus for a, long, you know, a while, I don't know, a month or so, before we discovered the Chinese Communist Party didn't like that name. They set about putting a lot of pressure on media and other you know, politicians, let's say, to change it. And they started calling it the coronavirus. They called it the coronavirus because it is actually a coronavirus. But that became very confusing to doctors and scientists because there are seven coronaviruses. This is just number seven. Boom. So we used to use the word coronavirus sometimes on our charts when we meant a common cold. You know, a person would come into the ER in my case and they, they just had a common cold and I would sometimes write coronavirus on the chart as the diagnosis. So it was pretty confusing for doctors and scientists to call it the coronavirus, right? So they had to change the name again and it became known by its acronym, Coronavirus Disease 2019, COVID-19. I have to start there because it was never a racist or, or weird thing to call it the Wuhan virus, right? There's so many diseases that are named after the location from which they arise. There's Zika and Ebola, there's Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Lyme disease. I mean, the list is endless, German measles, Spanish flu. This list is endless. So, you so I'm gonna stop it there, but I mean, think about that. <laughs> Seriously, you know, Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Do you see the people in the Rocky Mountains going nuts or people, you know, attacking or because you gave yeah. us this? But there is a lot of money in China, make no mistake. And we see Those that darn people of Fraser, Colorado. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's we crazy. see this um, play out where, uh, we have this disease and we're saying, well, this is racist. We're crying racism over over something that has been long standing. So are we going to now cancel the names of every single disease that was out there? Tie it it's, back it's to crazy. China. It has money. It has money. It's, it's, oh, you froze up. Kind of like, there you go. It's almost You're like back. an it's almost like an excuse to just wash over the reality of what we're talking about here. I mean, as we've seen overall, just the, the world of, of, of hate crimes in the U.S., actually, the, the instances of them go down by about, I think it was 7% in 2020. But anti-Asian specific hate crimes have gone up by 150%. Yeah. And I think in almost every case, they have been crimes perp uh, perpetrated by a non-Asian minority group. So... It, it, it's uh, that that is a conversation that we have to really dig into. Um, it, it, it's it's so crazy to say that Trump and the fact that he called it the Wuhan flu for a while that that's a contributor to what we're actually dealing with here. Um, the, these targeted attacks of literally people in the street identifying elderly Asian people running across the street and literally like shoving them down in some cases resulting in their deaths. The real cause of it. I think is what we need to talk about. You know, it's 
what we're hearing from the White House and what we're hearing in a lot of mainstream media, I think, Michelle, to your point, is a, a, a narrative that's been fueled by money coming from somebody with a reason for them to say what they're saying. They're trying to deflect. And, and that's just a, a huge problem. Why are they trying to deflect responsibility from the source? Mm -hmm. And we should talk a little bit before we do get into uh, the effects and what what this was what was really taking place in this issue in Atlanta. We'll revisit that, and if you haven't heard the news, we'll talk about what that is. What's happening <clears throat> with the attacks on Asians? How uh, how is it affecting us? We we can talk about that for a moment. I want to just step back and say there is an issue with China. We have selective outrage we can't watch a professional sports game without uh, having black lives matter uh, being promoted uh, and in your face and black lives absolutely do matter every life should matter but uh why are we still seeing the same people uh, that have blinders on where the human rights issues come out of China, where Mulan filmed in an area where there are actual slaves uh, because they're black. Does that not matter? I don't know. But we have selective outrage. China has a lot of money and a lot of pull. If we're going to stand up for injustice, let's stand up for all injustice across the board. You know, what's really interesting is if you talk to, uh, to Chinese American immigrants that have left China for a very specific reason, a similar reason to Venezuelan American immigrants, they will tell you that what we're kind of seeing here is really what was a precursor to Mao's cultural revolution. Um, back in 1963, Mao launched what was called the Socialist Education Movement. And this was really the precursor to the Cultural Revolution, which literally purged from society all things that were free and in favor of capitalism and democracy and, and, and fairness. And in a nutshell, what Mao did was he, he set the tone for the Cultural Revolution by cleansing powerful officials and questionable loyalties. Uh, he had this, this crazy approach that literally took over control of newspaper articles. Um, it took control of local governments and, and basically it, it, it placed specific leaders in business and specific leaders in society uh, into these power positions to, to quite literally control the narrative of a nation and to control the people. So I, I think if you talk to people who have left communist controlled countries like China, they will tell you that what we're seeing here today is, is kind of a precursor to something that in other societies has been just terribly, terribly damaging. I, um, and, and so I those are those are great sources of primary information, those people. This is something that I was researching is some of the effects on propaganda. And that's a lot of what happens when you no longer have accurate reporting. You have spin doctoring. <clears throat> you report one side. You silence a voice. And I've I have for the first time after one of our reports i had posted some news supporting what you and i are talking about and i'm telling you anything that goes against the general narrative facebook will take down tiktok will cancel why not have if you have the truth why be afraid of anything else because eventually the truth weighs out but the problem with propaganda i i was really amazed that 
they said, you know, the problem with propaganda is that people kind of know they're being led astray. They kind of know there's something off. But here's the kicker, Adam. They kind of don't mind. And here's why. Because it's telling you something you want to believe. It's telling you something maybe that feels good. It's telling you something that you want to be true. You kind of like it. And so you go along with it. You're superior or you, uh, we, we see this in uh, some of the problems with uh, what we're teaching in schools to, uh, now, according oh, yeah. to race, that uh, that we're the white saviors, and and so because these poor people are inferior, we have to save them. It makes us feel good. We're not seeing that we're really being supremacists. <laughs> it's oh, it's kind of nuts. About, it's scary to think about that people would would hear some of these messages and, and think that way, but you're so right. Well, it's what so right. race theory is all about. Well, you're, and, and that's, I think what um, a lot of people are sort of pointing to potentially as um, uh, in some ways they're saying it's sort of the result of, or part of this, this greater effort to indoctrinate. It drives, it drives uh, really the, the polarization of ideas and it, it literally minimizes the diversity of thought that we have. Uh, critical race theory has actually been pointed to. There's a group in, in China, or sorry, and there's a group in New York called the Chinese American Citizens Alliance, uh, and it's basically this group of people that um, know what communism is. They they are a group of people that are very educated on how the Chinese Communist Party operates, and they literally point to critical race theory as potentially the most racist thing out there. And, and how it's so predominantly entered workplaces and educational institutions uh, really under the guise of being anti-racist, uh, when in fact it's, it's racist as it gets, it's repressive, it's discriminatory, it's divisive, it teaches people to really focus on differences. Like, why are we different? Instead of, instead of looking to the teachings of Martin Luther King about how we can be <clears throat> brothers and sisters and how we can unite, um, it, it focuses on dividing people and, the, and it also it indoctrinates from a really, really early age. And, and, and that's kind of part of the game, right? You have to indoctrinate and sort of uh, drill in this, this theory of CRT to, to children to get them to kind of grow up thinking and believing this sort of stuff. And so we're seeing school systems now start, starting to do this, but not in Florida. Governor DeSantis is all over this and he knows how dangerous CRT is. He knows how unproven <clears throat> this is. This is. This is really kind of uh, socialist, or sorry, communist indoctrination 101. It's part of their playbook. Um, and it does nothing good for anyone. Uh, I, I, I love this one quote that I want to quickly just read. And I, so I went to Boston University for grad school, and that's where, that's where Martin Luther King uh, got his PhD, so I'm pretty proud of that. But this quote, I think, is, is so powerful. But it says, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I refuse to accept the view that, man can, that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright <clears throat> daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final work. So unarmed truth, that is so important, but you can't have any truth if you have this, this little <clears throat> silencing of ideas and information and conversations. Um, unconditional love, how can you have unconditional love if you're being indoctrinated at an early age to, to feel like you're so strongly different from your neighbor or from the person down the street? 
uh, when, when really you have so much in common and so much to, to share together and to enjoy and to do together. Um, I, we really, I think, need to focus on teachings from historical leaders <clears throat> like Martin Luther King Jr. And, and, and by all means reject uh, what what some of these these school systems are starting to to try to to teach? The current education secretary um, actually was responsible for implementing critical race theory in Connecticut when he was running the school system there. So, if we don't look at who's in power and what they're doing and ask a lot of very specific questions, we're we're going to lose ourselves before we even know it. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy because what we're seeing the voices we're hearing most from the critical race theory uh, and the people who are crying, this is racist cancel uh, and the places that are tearing things down for the most part are from white communities. Here in the Seattle area, um, we have a statue of Lenin who has not been taken down. Wrap your head around that. that. Right? How is that right? even there? Yeah, right. I mean, responsible for how many deaths and it's just it's it's inane and and that's fine. Why is it not taken down? Because it's history. Uh, I had posted that there really is a Dr. Seuss store in New Orleans, Louisiana. And I just said, apparently it's not canceled in New Orleans. And my good <laughs> friend whose birthday is today was saying, well, you know what? Um, Dr. Seuss's family decided to, to take those books. That's capitalism. She is absolutely right. They made that choice because of caricatures that are in those books. And that's a great exactly conversation right. to have, to teach our children. We don't need to make fun of people. Now, you could also say caricatures. Have you ever gone to a fair and people draw these goofy caricatures <laughs> of people? Is that racist? No, they're just a caricature. Dr. Seuss, at the time of a lot of the writings of his book, had traveled the world and he saw these things and people and this is what he, his art represented what he saw. Uh, can we use that with our children as a personal choice? Can I read this with our children and say, you know, wh what do you see in that? Does, you know, is is that really what a Chinese person looks like? Is that really what, you know, someone from Africa looks like? And how would you think a picture of you would look to someone that's different? You know, but how are we the same? Can we use that as a learning moment instead of a panic, cancel it all out? I also pointed out that it wasn't just a capitalist move, that it's also uh, many school districts that say, yeah, no more doc this Dr. Seuss Book, that Dr. Seuss book. And I may have offended her because her response was, I'm sorry you have so many problems with school districts. And I, I don't. I have a problem with not being able to talk about it without being offended. Adam, right. back to you and how our inability to see our similarities and our shared American experiences has really affected our ability to report and to look at the tragic shootings in Atlanta. Before I get your thoughts on this, let me just play a news report of what took place in case somebody is out of the loop and doesn't know what we're talking about. And with new developments in that shooting rampage in the Atlanta area that left eight people dead and the country reeling. Tonight, there's new video showing the alleged killer calmly leaving one of the Asian spas he targeted moments after gunning people down inside. Investigators are now saying there is 
evidence that Robert Long was a customer at two of the spas where he opened fire. Police in Atlanta said today they aren't taking the idea that the shootings were a hate crime off the table. And on Capitol Hill tonight, members of Congress are warning of a disturbing spike in brutal attacks on Asian Americans has now reached a crisis point. And so uh, that just gives you gets you up to speed on what's going on, Adam. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the, the obvious response, first of all, is just that shooter is just what a piece of garbage. Um, what, a, what a garbage person to, to do that to, to another human being. My response, though, is I, I think that this is probably there are obviously some things that are, are worth discussing here. Um, these 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 massage parlors. Right. There's a question of whether or not these are places that function uh, to perpetuate human trafficking, which is a huge problem in the country. Uh, human trafficking. But we is don't talk about because of selective outrage. Exactly. Selective outrage. When is, you know, human trafficking is just, is, it's a modern form of slavery. You know, the people are in a lot of cases, sex slaves. Um, the shooter here is saying that this was fueled by a sexual addiction. Um, in which case, you know, that guy needs a lot of therapy and, and needs some God in his life. Uh, you know, among other things, he's 21 years old. His life is over. Um, of course, as is the lives of those other eight victims, um, that didn't deserve this at all. Uh, Let's talk about defund the police. I mean, defund the police. You have crimes out of control now in a majority of, of cities that are typically more progressive cities, right? New York City, uh, San Francisco. Um, this is where a lot of these anti-Asian hate crimes are taking place. This is, this is where this is happening. Uh, to, to think that when you defund the police, that that's going to solve certain maybe social issues that are, that are important conversations to have, the, the concept of defunding the police is just so ridiculous to me because, okay, let's let's now under-resource and underpay the people that we are looking to to protect us and protect our communities. Question. It's ridiculous. If you want the best people in power, if you want the best people running the streets, pay them more because it's a really, really dangerous job. Okay, and then here's my question then. We have that argument where our failing, extremely failing schools um, now, also, and, and I'm going to say, teachers, you do rock. I know you have it tough. Um, so I'm not slamming you. It's just the argument that we're saying, hey, you want better schools? Pay your teachers more. Not necessarily the administration, not right? Pay right. your teachers more. So we have that argument where our schools are concerned. How does that logic just escape where police are concerned? Exactly. It, it doesn't. Oh, yeah. If you want, if you want better, more responsible police, pay them more, train them more. You'll retain them also, by the way, you'll have police that, that stick around for quite some time. Unlike One Seattle, of the guys that I was they with... are bailing here, bailing. Our, Absolutely. You know, by the Can way, you you're them? in one of those the cities, if you're in, in Seattle, if you're in Seattle, if you're in Portland and some of these areas where they're being defunded, Thank a good cop. You know, when you see them out there, thank them. Adam, true story. Uh, as the police were being defunded, I was downtown. Uh, I saw a couple of police officers and I just said, hey, guys, I want to thank you for sticking around. I know a lot of people are leaving, but thank you for being here for our city. And one of them literally cried, literally cried yeah. and said, thank you for saying that. I can't tell you what it means. There was a story of a, of a Dallas cop recently, and basically there was this homeless person on the side of the road, had nothing, and this, this cop literally took this homeless person to a store, bought this person what they needed, brought them to a shelter, 
out of his own pocket. The city didn't pay for this. Um, and basically a random act of kindness to take care of someone that nobody talks to and nobody really looks at when they're obviously on the streets, right? Policemen and police women do so much for our communities that are that, that, that we never see. You know, a majority of cops that are out there are great cops. Of course, there are there are issues here and there, and in these these bad seeds, um, the the good cops want to get rid of all these bad seeds, right? They don't want bad seeds making them look bad. Uh, the police that 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 choose these professions, that choose to do this for their life, uh, it's they know that they're not going to be paid a lot of money for a job that's very dangerous, for a job that might expose them to risks that. You know, maybe they end up in jail because they react a, the wrong way in a split second decision. Uh, it, it's such a risky position to, 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 to be in and to hold. Um, but thank God they, they do it for us. And so to, to think that defunding the police is, is any sort of option. I mean, they, they defunded the police. The at risk neighborhoods, more at risk. And hey, I'm going to tell you, I'm fine putting pressure on the police when there's bad decisions, Absolutely. bad shootings, inappropriate. I mean, I don't know about you. You're probably model citizen, but I've been pulled over and I've had some problems with the way, you know, some of the treatment or some of the attitudes put pressure I believe in that 100%. But we tend Absolutely. to go off the rails and, and get a little bit crazy. Um, and then we see what we've seen here in the Atlanta well, shootings. Are doubled in New York, right? Well, there's the Atlanta shooting, of course. But I mean, shootings in general, crime in general is up in New York just dramatically. Crime in Austin, Texas is up dramatically. Uh, th this entire concept about under-resourcing and underpaying the cops, I think that's going to do anything good. No way. I love what Chief Brown did back when he was in Dallas. He's in Chicago now, but he really wanted to make police sort of a part of the community, not as a as a police sort of, of presence, but as a friend and as a resource. And of course, the Dallas police have had their issues over time, but I think uh, efforts towards really kind of embedding the police into communities, not as much a cop or, or, or there to police things, but there to be a resource and a community who befriends kids that would otherwise have no friends and does things to sort of be like this this positive example and like this this navigate this this navigator for for what the next good decision might be um i i think that's probably a, a better solution towards some of those at-risk communities that otherwise don't have anybody that cares about them i mean getting cops to patrol the neighborhoods that they grew up in i think there's so much to be said for that also um, but when you when you defund the cops and you cut their staff, <clears throat> I mean, they they work so many crazy hours. You know, um, how are they going to be able to make split second decisions when they've been up for three days on patrol? You know? Wow. Yeah. And let me ask you something. Of as we talk about this shooting in Atlanta, uh, we. Do you think that it's hard to get to what really went on because we have this tribal idea of us against them and this color against that color? Uh, and so we, we aren't really seeing all of the nuances and the problems to really solve the, hum, the human aspect that's going on here. Some of the sex trade issues that we don't care about. We're counseling things like Dr. Seuss, but Cardi B gets an award for it. 
know, one of a, a filthy song. And when I say something like that, everyone said, well, she's expressing herself. Men express themselves, you know? Yeah. But women, you know, come on, let's be classier. Let's be better, you know, celebrate yeah. your sexuality, not your sleaziness, but that's okay. And yet we complain when it's the hashtag me twos and it's, you know, when we see issues where women are objectified, um, and I want to bring this to the border crisis as well. Um, do you Definitely. think that we are ignoring one of the biggest problems with the border? And there are a lot of problems as we look at this border crisis, but human trafficking is huge. You have undocumented right. people. Oh, we're such a loving country. Come on in. But we don't ask people to do it legally. There are so many children and so many women that are sold into sex as sex slaves, and we only care about the slavery atrocities that took place 200 years ago. It's really crazy, but I guess if you ask certain members of our administration, oh, there's no crisis. It's now nah, we're 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 not focused on that. There's no scheduled visit to to the border to see what's going on there. I mean, Michelle, you're right. There, so obviously the. The crimes against these uh, massage parlors brings up this conversation of human trafficking, looking to the border crisis, which that's what that is. That's a humanitarian border crisis that didn't, well, there's always been a problem with the border. It has not been this much of a problem. Uh, wh why aren't we calling this what it is? We're literally seeing the largest wave of migrants in 20 years now, um, kind of coming our way from these Central American countries. There's one migrant facility now that has it's like almost 730% occupancy. You have, you have kids that are taking turns sleeping on floors and showering once a week. But with, with these thousands of people coming here, unaccompanied children, I mean, shoot, like what, what is the end goal? I mean, how are these kids getting here first of all? And what's kind of going on to, to sort of create this, this influx of, of human traffic? Uh, this, is, this is big business, Michelle. It, it's really big business for organized crime. Uh, to to transport people from other countries to the United mm -hmm. States for for illegal immigration, I, I actually did a little bit of, of research into sort of what the the payday is for these cartels, and yeah. uh, it's so if you're coming from Mexico, the cartels are going to charge you twenty five hundred bucks. Central America about three grand. If you're a Chinese migrant, expect to pay about five thousand dollars to your. I think they're called coyotes, and if you're uh, coming from Russia or uh, you're someone of Arab descent. They're going to bill you nine grand for that. They're not going nine to force to you to 15, pay up nine to 15 and sometimes up to 30,000. Right. And they're not going to make you pay up front. <laughs> what they're going to do is they're going to know who your family is and where they live. And they're going to know that, you know, they're going to make sure you understand that if you don't pay them the money that is owed to them, they're going to go after your family. Um, they're also going to try to obviously go after you when you're here in the States. But if you just disappear, then probably your next call to, to, mom and dad back home is not going to be a very good call. The, the cartels are literally going to go after your family. So this is big business for, for organized crime. And in and, and a lot of ways, when I think when, when Biden sort of made some quick changes to, to border policy, there was a lot of communication that kind of spread throughout Central America saying, all right, guys, borders open. Come on right now. It's it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. How I know many right now, crossings were there in February? You know this. This literally a hundred thousand crossings were in February, which is um, 
basically a four times higher than all but four months during during Trump's four years in office. Hundred thousand people in February. That's that's crazy to even think about, and and really it's interesting too because when you look at what we're hearing from our leaders, we're saying, you know what, kids, come on, if you come here, it's fine. We're going to take care of you this and that you're hearing all these kind of rosy pictures being painted by our, by our, our leaders in office but what you're not hearing anything about is what the the Biden administration is telling the Mexican government to do the Mexican government right now is basically working to kind of do the dirty work that that our administration doesn't want you to hear about they're actually going to have their their armed police forces their national guard uh, start to put a serious um, I don't know, I guess a cork in the neck, right? They're trying to literally stop the flow of migrants coming through Mexico. And, and that's way. great. Thank you, Mexico. I mean, that's fabulous that someone's doing something. But what culpability do we have when we say just come on in? And, right. you know, we don't want to call it illegal because people aren't illegal. No, but the practice is. And that practice that you're championing, that practice that you're saying we just want to be loving these poor people is causing many children to die and many children to be enslaved and women to be enslaved. And we don't care because we don't know who they are. We don't know where they came from. We don't know how they're being used. And on top of it, their money, instead of coming to our government and having a, a, a free way or a very inexpensive way to legal citizenship or to inhabit the United States, their money is funding the drug problem that is causing the homelessness on our streets. It's causing the mental health issues and causing cities like my beautiful city of Seattle to look like a third world nation. That's the result yeah. of your unfounded love. We, where our caring turns to cruelty, Adam. We absolutely Preaching do done. Provide a Go ahead. <laughs> you're, you're so right on, Michelle. I mean, there absolutely has to be a pathway to citizenship. I mean, I wouldn't be here if there wasn't one, you know, I, I would be either in we were talking Italy or, or Ireland or, yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be here. And, and immigration is what makes our country such a great country, but there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And this way is the cartel's way and it's not okay. Uh, there, there's a, a community or there's a story that people don't really talk about that much. And it's how this impacts actual Americans most of them uh, of, of Mexican or, or Hispanic descent living in Texas border towns, people that have literally been running ranches for probably going back to when Texas was part of Mexico or Spain. I mean, people that have lived on this land for, for decades, if not more than hundreds of years, but these people are living in fear now. These are American citizens living in fear because the cartels are running these smuggling operations obviously from one side of the border being Mexico, crossing the border, and then all of a sudden they find themselves on private property on somebody's ranch. It's a farmer, uh, it's a rancher. I've actually been, been lucky enough to go and spend some time um, at some of these ranches. And as you walk around the border of the ranch, and it's a very routine thing as a rancher to, you know, you get in your four-wheeler and you drive the line of your property to check the quality of your fencing to make sure that, you know, you're not going to have any deer or, or cows wandering off because that could be a problem if they're on the highway, right? Okay. So as you're, as you're kind of driving your property line, you'll start to see that there's all sorts of fencing that's been manipulated, manipulated, right? You'll have people cut your fencing. You'll have people literally fold your fencing down so that human traffic can literally walk over it or under it. And every now and then you'll see things left behind, right? Uh, 
in respect of, of things recently, you'll see wristbands left behind because that's what the smugglers use to yeah. sort of register people. The red bands means one cartel, the yellow bands is a different one. And they use that literally with serial numbers because every person that they're that they're trafficking is registered. Now, if you happen to be a property- We can't even do that. <laughs> we literally, like, they're, they're very organized, but I guess that's why they call it organized crime, right? It's big business and those guys know how to make that money. Um, but as a property owner, as a Texan, as an American, um, you live in fear because if you happen to be someone who's known to report uh, sightings of crossings to Border Patrol, if you happen to see certain types of activity taking place, retaliatory violence takes place, unfortunately, more often than not. So there are people that patrol their land with with little helicopters, people that have lots of land, right? Um, and they'll see things. You'll see uh, mysterious sacks full of stuff, drugs, <laughs> money, or, or, or nothing at all. Sometimes it's just trash left from, from the people who are moving from point A to point B. But there's a general fear of what if I report what I'm seeing to the authorities? You know, there are groups of citizens who live fearlessly, who carry guns with them and, and form alliances and kind of like these private citizen militia groups that, that try to work with the government to solve this problem. But Michelle, I mean, I, I can't imagine living that way. Those are very, very brave people who live on these border towns all they're trying to do is just live life, pursue happiness, make a buck or two, um, and pass on some knowledge to the next generation. They're not trying to be uh, people who literally have to live in fear that, you know, when I, when I, when I go to my fields to, to tend my crop, why should I have to wear a bulletproof vest to do that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's well, we don't story. think about that as we're sitting here in prosperity in, you know, in Seattle, in LA, in New York. We're not thinking about that. And, you know, this is a big passion of mine is the human trafficking. I cannot even, you know, if you have children, you think about that when you think of a, a three or five year old that is being trafficked for sex. That is their life. They, they become subhuman. We are contributing to that, but again, mm -hmm. selective outrage because we can take down news stories that don't fit with a vaccine narrative or mask wearing narrative, but uh, there are some issues that those same social media outlets have with pornography and, <laughs> and uh, trafficking. What the heck? It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. It, it's just kind of another example of do as I say, not as I do in some cases. I mean, we, we literally see just all this terrible, terrible content on Twitter and Facebook, and we know it. We know it's there. The same stuff that exists on these big platforms, let, let's just remind ourselves that it was this type of content that basically a big tech colluded around to take out Parler. You know, remember that, that, up and yeah. coming, that up and coming competitor to Twitter, right? So literally you have Twitter kind of citing Section 230, which is that part of the FCC uh, Communications Act that basically says, hey, listen, big tech, if you guys have really bad stuff on your platform that was posted by third-party users, you are legally immune to repercussions from that type of awful content. If your drunk uncle is on Twitter saying terrible things and spewing hate speech and defamatory content, that's on him, not on you. Now, interestingly enough, it's 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 kind of these, uh, well, it goes back to inconsistency around how this is policed, right? So with Facebook and Instagram, 
<clears throat> there were over 21 million child sex abuse images posted to their platforms in 2020. That is insane. Facebook literally had 35 times more reports of uh, child sex related content than Google uh, in 2020. This, this is stuff that Amazon, Google, and Apple referred to when they were basically trying to say, hey, you know what, Parler, we're going to shut you down. Um, it, it's really kind of crazy to me to see how big tech continues to use uh, Section 230 to their advantage when it's advantageous to them, but they continue to be inconsistent in how they choose who to censor and who to not censor. We can all agree that this kind of content is awful in every case and you know whether or not whether or not twitter should be sued for having child porn on their platform or not i think if twitter wants to make editorial decisions about who to censor and who to not censor but then they choose to not get rid of this child porn that's on their platform i, I think it's time to say hey you know what twitter you're not going to enjoy section 230 immunity you're going to be held responsible for this child pornography that's on your platform. If you can make the decision to silence Trump from your platform because you don't like what he's saying, well, why didn't you make the decision to delete this child pornography from your platform as well? That's a very, very good question. Um, where, I mean, where, where something is illegal, that's a really good sign. You need to take it down. Where it falls under free speech, that's where freedom reigns. What should media and social platforms look like? It should look like a free exchange of ideas, things that you don't like. That's part of freedom of speech. You're not going to like everything, even some things that may be spinned. But if you have enough information out there, you find the truth. It reasons out, but it goes back to the propaganda thing that I was mentioning before. It's not about hearing what's really happening. It's about titillating the senses. And this is kind of what I like to hear. And so you can feed me as much propaganda as you like. And as you mentioned, uh, that's the beginning of a loss of freedom and a, a big, bad road to death, destruction, hate, and even war. It Without happened. question. You're so right on. It is, it's kind of the end of it, you know? It's the end of it. The, the end of diversity is the end of, of everything that's important and great here. Um, obviously, conversations are a part of that, right? So it's actually interesting, Michelle. So um, there have been a lot of independent news sources, and I know you were, um, <laughs> you were canceled. Uh, one of your posts was canceled recently, or I guess it was a news link that you shared, right? And um, I'm in the cancel club. You're in the cancel club. Congratulations. <laughs> it's almost like a badge of honor, you know, in some respect these days, because it's like, oh, well, she must have been telling the truth. She got canceled for it. <laughs> but there's been a lot of, um, you know, obviously publications that have been complaining for years uh, to the regulators about, oh, man, Facebook is blocking this and it's blocking that. From a business perspective, they're blocking clicks to my site that I need to sell advertising dollars and to, to generate revenue for the business. News, news organizations make money on great content that attracts attention, getting that attention, serving an advertisement during the, the actual sharing of content. Cha-ching, that's one source of revenue, plus subscriptions, and then of course sponsored content and partnerships, right? That's the traditional way that, that news uh, publications make money. So 
when those news publishers happen to, I don't know, be victim to a change in Facebook or Google's algorithm that stops the clicks from going to their website, it hinders their ability to make money, right? So Australia is trying to solve that, and it, but it's totally not doing it. It's, they're, they're really missing the mark. Basically what Australia did was in an effort to curb the power and the dominance of big tech, they're, they're really the first mover on passing this law that makes Google search and the Facebook newsfeed now pay for content that's going to be featured on their platform. So if you're a publisher, if I'm, you know, my Michelle live and I'm a news publisher and I'm trying to get my, my, my news article on to Google search or in the Facebook newsfeed, I would have had to have a pre-negotiated agreement in place with these platforms that says, just by having this content on the site, I will get paid X amount of dollars just for it being there. So that's cool in one respect, because you're like, okay, well, I don't need to click to my content to get paid for it. All I have to do is just create it. So it sounds all fun and great, but this also now means that Google and Facebook and big tech can make not only decisions with their algorithm that might impact your ability to get attention to your content, but they could just choose to not have an agreement with you and to just not have something in place that ensures that you are able to access their users with, with your news information. So well, that's my Michelle... was so was a good idea because you just allow ideas. If yep. something continues to be weird and false, it's going to be weird and false and people are going to really start to recognize it, point it out, call it out and say, wait a minute. Um, you you have that ability to have freedom and it all kind of uh weighs out like we started this conversation um adam with with the mask issue with places like texas you open it up and you give freedom people gravitate to what really can work for them and what makes people uh what makes people feel safe what is good business we gravitate it, it kind of evens out a bit yeah it does even out as long as it's allowed to even out <laughs> i mean uh you have to be able to get the content on there in the first place and right now what facebook's or sorry what, what australia is trying to do with their new legislation basically makes it such that if you're not on this this cool kid list of approved publishers your content's not even there <laughs> So as we see kind of communications move over towards the United States, as we look at Australia as the skinny pig, it's important that we reject the idea of letting big tech outlets choose who is defined as a new source and who is not defined as a new source, because that will literally shrink the market and kill our ability to have that diversity of information and content. Literally, Michelle, 43% of Americans look to Facebook for their daily news which kind of seems like an insane statistic that half of Americans look to Facebook for their daily update. But, but that's just the truth. Are we really so surprised we... though? I mean, think I about mean, we... where did people get their news before uh, Facebook and such? They got it from the late night shows from freaking comedians, right? That's true. So... That's true. Yeah. Let me look to Johnny Carson. Night fast, Live? Right? What? <laughs> yeah, let's like see what Johnny Carson has to say about this, you know, but but literally news is about 4% of all content that you'll see on Facebook, but still half of Americans go to Facebook for their daily update. If Facebook's making decisions about who's defined as a news source and who isn't, man, we are in trouble. We, we basically just need this conversation to be specific to updating Section 230 so that everyone lives by the same set of rules and, and then figuring out more of a creative solution for 
how to disassemble Mr. Potato Head when it comes to antitrust uh, updates. Because these are century old laws, you know? I mean, it, I, I'm not one for, for typically like regulation and, and government, this and that. I'm, I'm let, the, let the private market sort of figure things out. Uh, sometimes businesses evolve to this, like this upper state of just awesome dominance. And I mean, shoot, Michelle, we were complaining about Chrome earlier. It's like, I, I wish I didn't have to use Chrome, but like I use it because it's like typically really good. I know it's tracking my everything, but man, it offers me so much value. And it's like TikTok even, right? Like, oh my gosh, I know my information might be going straight to the CCP in China, but their algorithm for content matching is so good. Like they're always sending me, like showing me the videos that I want to see that like are funny. And oh my gosh, did you see what that cat did? Ah, you know, it's like the value that we get from that stuff is so good. But, um, you know, we got to reel it in too on the other side. Well, I'm thankful that we still have a voice. And I think that's why um, shows like this, where we're having a free exchange of ideas is important. Um, you keep hearing something and that's what the nature of propaganda. And then you say, oh, that must be true because these people say it, these people say it, these people say it. But sooner or later, sometimes the light comes on and you're going, wait a minute, there is more to the story. And that's the hope of our nation. Adam, I'm going to give you the final word. Awesome. You know, the United States, we have a strictly limited federal government, and that's what makes us great. We have a robust Bill of Rights. We are all about minority rights. Majority rule, you know, we, we have freedom of speech. We have civil liberties. Uh, we are allowed to ask questions of our government, and we should. Uh, the federal government today has been limiting uh, political speech. It's been limiting our diversity of thought. And really, as we see, you know, crimes sort of escalate, uh, as we see uh, crimes really violence being directed towards uh, minority communities, such as the, the anti-Asian crimes that we've seen, we have to ask ourselves a lot of questions about why and don't take the first answer that we see. Look to primary data. Let's let's talk to those who are really our, 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 our first generation Americans because they're here for a very specific reason in a lot of cases. And that's why, our, that's why immigrants are so important to our country. First generation Chinese Americans are a great source of information. First generation Hispanic Americans are, are, are fantastic sources of information about yep. why America is awesome and why other forms of government are not awesome. Yeah. Talk to people from Venezuela, talk to people from Cuba, be open-minded and ask questions always and fact check, but also know where the fact checkers are looking for their facts as well. And listen to the Riz Report here on my Michelle Live because you'll get more to the story. We guarantee it. You don't like what you hear, then don't cancel it. Debate it. Talk about it. Show me where we're wrong. That's perfectly okay. That's what freedom looks like. And see that face there? That's what freedom looks like too. Adam That's right. Subscribe and keep us accountable. <laughs> Come, on. Come on. Exactly. Right? Keep us accountable. Uh, Adam is the Chief Marketing Officer at Agency Partner Interactive. You can have links to where you are listening to this. Adam, we will catch you next week. Thank you so much. The Riz Report. Let's review the week. The Riz Report with Adam Rizzieri. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. We will catch you next time. Have a great week. For more fun, go to mymichellelive.com. <laughs>